This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Good morning, Woodland Presbyterian. It is a joy to be with you today. I very much appreciate Pastor Matt's invitation to be here and to open the Word of God with you. Uh, Just to tell you a little bit about myself, uh, I am very new to the Memphis area. We moved here from Birmingham, which is where my husband and I are both from originally. Um, But in the in-between time, we spent quite a bit of time in Kentucky and New York State, nowhere near the city. Um, We were above the Adirondacks. So closest city was actually Montreal, Canada. Um, So we are very happy to not be uh, in the snow belt as we were for a period of time there where it could snow a foot of snow an hour on occasion. That was not fun. Um, So we are very happy to be back in the south. Full disclosure, we are Alabama fans, Um, and I say that knowing it is the beginning of hate week, um, but I come only in love and in peace with all of my Vols brethren. Um, It is a joy to worship our God together. Go Vols. every week except this one. Um, But I I am very happy to see it's going to look like a good game this week, so I'm excited about that. Um, I am very happy to talk to you today from my favorite Bible story. This is my, I know I probably ought to say that my favorite story is the Easter story, but this one's actually my favorite, just to be really honest with you. It's out of Mark 5, verses 21 through 44. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better but grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately... The flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, 
only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the little girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of God for the people of God. As I said, this is my favorite Bible story. Uh, at one point I worked in a gym while Edwin and I were church planting, and I had a client whose name was Talitha. Well, I had to put into my computer system everyone's name, and so I, I didn't quite catch it at first, and so I asked her to spell it. And she got to the L, and I go, oh, Talitha, as in Talitha Kumi, I say to you, little girl, rise up. And I don't think she was expecting an employee at Planet Fitness to be the first person to ever know where her name came from. Uh, and so she was like, I'm just shocked. Um, but she didn't suspect that I had read this story dozens and dozens of times, that I've turned it over in my head over and over again. But it isn't the little girl raised from the dead that gets me. It's not the reason I love this story. The reason I love this story is the woman who had faith enough to try to steal healing ninja style. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what's going on. In the Levitical law, the good and holy law of the Old Testament, it categorizes women with discharge as unclean, which means unfit to congregate. And this woman has been in this situation for 12 years. That means she's considered unable to join with the people of God to worship. That means uh, she's not allowed at synagogue. She can't get married or have an intimate relationship with a husband if she has one. She can't have children. She's not even allowed to touch anyone <laughs> because she's a source of uncleanness to others. She's been in this state, a walking source of uncleanness for 12 years. Strangely, I found that we have a tendency to try to speed through her part of the story to get back to Jairus' daughter because we find her story uncomfortable. But what's interesting is Jesus just refuses to do that. He's the one who stops and makes sure we recognize what's going on with this woman. And so we're gonna call her our sister because she doesn't have a name in our story. But I know that my God knows her name and she is our people. And so we're gonna call her our sister. And the first thing I notice here is she sure seems to be alone. She seems to be alone. In contrast to Jairus' daughter, there is no daddy fighting for her. She's on her own, fighting her own battles for her own good because nobody is there to help her. Now in Mark 2, we see the story of the paralytic who's carried to Jesus by his friends. And they're willing to commit breaking and entering to get their friend to Jesus' feet, right? Remember the story? And the Bible tells us that it's when Jesus sees the faith of the friends that he forgives the man's sin and heals them. But 
Where are her friends? Where are the friends of our sister here? Uh, She just seems to be alone, doesn't she? In tonight's story, uh, today's story rather, Jesus has just gotten back to Jewish territory after a trip to the Gerasenes. Now that's a Gentile region. There he healed a demon-possessed man who was also on his own. He had gotten so bad and so dangerous that he lived in tombs. He cut himself, suffering alone. But now we're back in Jewish territory. Certainly, things are better in God's territory, right? Surely no one is left alone and without hope of restoration in Galilee, right? But here she is, alone, fighting her own battles in God's region, and she sure seems to be alone. Mark gives us details about her story, but he never tells us her name, and that's in stark contrast to Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. Everyone knows his name, and in his greatest hour of need, his house is full of people, there to mourn with him, there to experience his darkest hour with him. And so then we look at this woman, unnamed and seemingly insignificant to anyone, and we wonder, how can she be so alone? And the next thing I notice is that nothing seems to be working. (laughs) This poor woman has spent every dime she has looking for healing, And Mark tells us that it was worse than nothing. She only grew sicker in their hands. I can't help but wonder how many prayers this woman prayed for healing. Clearly, she believes God is able to heal her. Because she's willing to go out of her way to a man of God for healing. Certainly she has prayed, and yet over and over again for 12 years, the only answer she heard from the throne of God was no. Uh, I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis. Is anyone else a fan of C.S. Lewis? Love him. Uh, He wrote a book on the issue of suffering before his wife passed away called The Problem of Pain. It's very philosophical. Um, But then he wrote another book, on suffering called A Grief Observed After His Wife Died. It is not very philosophical. It is very personal and very um, honest. It's salty is what it is. It's just plain salty. Um, And in it he wrote about his own grief. Go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once, and that seeming was as strong as this. What can this mean? Why is he so present a commander in our time of prosperity? and so absent a help in time of trouble. The conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all. But, so this is what God's really like. Deceive yourself no longer. Our sister sat in that dark silence 
for 12 years. Whatever situation she was in when her trial began, by the end of it, she was alone with no father, no husband, no children, and no options. Nothing seems to be working. Now, some of us know what that's like. It may not be as dramatic as losing a spouse or suffering from an illness for 12 years, but for some, it's exactly that. I taught this passage to a group of middle school and high schoolers, and I asked them, what would you think if you were this woman and you tried everything you knew to try and God wouldn't cure you even though you knew he could? And one of the little girls looked at me and said, I think he doesn't love me. And that's what I would think too, I think. I think that's where I would get. When nothing seems to work, when I do all the praying and all the Bible studying and all the serving and all the loving, and God still refuses to bless, I, along with C.S. Lewis, start to wonder if God really is good. And if he is, does he really care about me at all? And that's what the disciples wondered as they made their way across the Sea of Galilee in Mark 4. A windstorm came and suddenly rocked the boat and waves started filling it with water and Jesus managed to take a nap. The disciples also questioned the goodness of Jesus, saying, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? They questioned his goodness and love for them, because in the midst of the storm, nothing seemed to be working. All of their belling of water got, their, got them nowhere, and Jesus didn't seem to care enough to wake up, nevertheless pick up a bucket. After Jesus calmed the storm with a single command, though they were filled with even greater fear, and they asked themselves, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? For our sister, as she sits in her own storm, nothing seems to be working. But, you know, in the Bible, buts tend to be really good things. But faith sees through how things seem to be to the goodness of a God who sends his son to make us his own children. This woman, sitting in that dark room full of locked doors, as Lewis described it, still believed that God wanted to heal her and that that healing would come through Jesus Christ. She may not have had an intricate theology of the Messiah, but she believed in Jesus, and shockingly enough, she believed that he wanted to heal her. Verses 27 and 28 tell us, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him and touched his garments, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Our sister has the kind of faith that sees through the way things seem to be to the goodness of a God who sends his son to make us his own children. Now, way back in the garden, Adam and Eve made a fateful decision to doubt the goodness of God. And that's what got us in this whole mess. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5 tell us, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, 
You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What did Adam and Eve believe that led them into sin? That God was holding out on them. He wanted to keep them from something good. That's what Satan tempted them to believe. That God was holding out on them. That he wasn't really for them. Saving faith sees God for who he is and all of his goodness and all of his beauty and all of his love and trusts in it even when our circumstances lead us to believe otherwise. Real faith always results in action. And that action's risky. This woman's faith risks. Do you see that? When Jesus calls her out, how does she react? With fear and trembling. Falling down before him, she's terrified because she knows she just made everybody around her unclean, according to her best knowledge. That even includes Jesus, if Jesus isn't really who Jesus is. Her faith is risky. It puts everything on the line because she believes that Jesus is good and he is for her. This is a faith that Jesus says saves her, and not just from her illness. That word for made you well could also be said, your faith has saved you, redeemed you. It's used for both medical healing and spiritual redemption. This faith that sees the goodness of God in the midst of overwhelming trial allows us to retell our story by seeing things the way they really are. Faith sees through how things seem to be, to the goodness of a God who sends his son to make us his own children. And by faith, we see God working all things together when nothing seems to be working. What if God had allowed one of those medical treatments to work? What if after two years, she was healed of her disease? She would have her body, she would have community, but she wouldn't have Jesus. This woman has a bigger problem than her illness. Now, years are valuable, but every single person that Jesus healed would eventually die physically. We can and should do everything we can to ensure that every single person has as many good, healthy years as possible. That's our job as Christians, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Years are valuable, but Jesus is forever. Jesus was not pushing her out with those years of illness. That's what it seemed to be. But in reality, Jesus was orchestrating this moment for her good to bring her to what she needed more than anything else. The Lord God walking among us. By faith, we see God working all things together when nothing seems to be working. And what I see is God orchestrating this moment together for 12 years to give this woman what she most desperately needs, but she may not have realized.
This is the only time Mark tells us how long a person has had a disease. It's the only time. And it's the only time he tells us the age of a healing uh, recipient, the little girl. Although he could have ended her illness earlier, he was patient to give her time to see that her deepest need could only be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Even if she didn't know what her deepest need was. He let every road except Jesus lead to no, so that Jesus could be the resounding yes to her deepest need. What's your deepest need, dear one? We're very bad at diagnosing what our real needs are. We see circumstances and we feel valid feelings, but we very rarely recognize what's really going on behind the scenes. Now, in one of C.S. Lewis's less salty works, The Horse and His Boy, which is one of the Chronicles of Narnia, the main character, Shasta, finds himself on a dangerous journey where it seems like he's being pursued by vicious lions. Readers who've read the other books in the series start to wonder, could those lions be Aslan, the, the lion that represents Jesus? But he doesn't seem to behave the way you expect Aslan to behave. Eventually, Shasta finds himself in great darkness, and he senses a large something walking next to him. The something asks Shasta to tell him a story, and Shasta tells the something that he never knew his parents and was raised by stern fishermen. He tells the something about his escape from the fishermen and how he and his friend Bree and his horse Erebus were chased by lions, and then yet another lion wounded poor Erebus. The something explains that there was only one lion and that the something walking next to Shasta is the lion who guided Shasta along his journey, though sometimes in painful ways. After Shasta hears his own story from the, from the lion we know to be Aslan, he asks, then it was you who wounded Erebus, the horse? The something we know to be Aslan won't give Shasta an answer about why he would do such a thing, saying instead, Child, I am telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. Shasta, like most of us, thought he knew his own story. But his perspective was limited. Just as the biblical Job had no idea of the cosmic issues at play in his life, we often don't realize that God is working in ways we cannot see to write a story bigger than we could ever dream or imagine. Are you letting Jesus tell you your story? Or are you trying to tell him that he doesn't understand? If he'd walk a mile in your shoes, then he'd get it. But the story he's writing for you, dear ones, brothers and sisters, it's bigger than you ever hoped or dreamed. There's more going on than you can imagine. Your story is bigger than your wildest expectations with cosmic forces watching with bated breath. But you can only follow along with the true story through the eyes of faith. Faith sees through the way things seem to be to the goodness of a God who sends his son to make us his own children. And by faith, we see that we have a father when it seems like we're alone. Now, Jairus is a good daddy. 
He's willing to beg on behalf of his little girl. And his presence brings out the fact that there's no one fighting on behalf of our sister until Jesus steps in to set the record straight. Jesus' response in this situation is my favorite part of this story. It's why I love this so much. Now, this woman manages to get in, get healed, and get out of there without getting caught. And then Jesus won't let the poor thing get away with it, will he? He makes sure to ask, who touched my garments? Now, this is a crazy question because it is like Black Friday and Walmart up in there. Everybody is pressing in on everybody else. So the idea of who touched me, imagine saying that in Walmart on Black Friday. Who just bumped into me? About 50 people just bumped into you. But Jesus, he knows this was a special somebody. This was not a normal bumping in. And he asked a question that no one has asked in 12 years. Who is this woman? For 12 years, she's been the hemorrhaging woman. But that's not who she is. Jesus knows who she is, but she doesn't. She thinks she's unclean. After 12 years of being in a state of uncleanness and a source of uncleanness to others, this woman needs more than physical healing. She needs to know who she is. And she needs to know what she has in Jesus Christ. Who is this woman? She's a daughter of the Most High God. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Faith sees that we have a father when it seems like we are alone. Jairus is a good daddy. He's willing to humble himself before Jesus to beg for his daughter. And it's impressive when the ruler of the synagogue begs for his daughter. But you know what's better? When the God of the synagogue humbles himself, takes on human flesh, walks our streets, breathes our air, all to adopt a sick woman and make her his own. The God of all creation sent his son to take on human flesh, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Oh, Jairus is a good daddy but he's got nothing on your heavenly father. Jairus bowed down before Jesus to save his little girl, but Jesus would submit himself to death to save his people from their sins. By faith, we see we have a father when we seem to be alone. Now, I know some of you may not have had a good father, and I'm so sorry. So I know for some people, even hearing the word, stresses you out, and I am so sorry if that is you, but understand this, that is not the kind of daddy you have in Jesus Christ. Your heavenly father is a good father. He's the kind of father who sends his only begotten son, who steps down from glory to make you his own. This Jesus dies a painful death to pay for the sin you committed against him. Your heavenly father is the kind of father who is preparing a house for us, and where we will live with him forever, and no one will harm you in that house. If that sounds impossible, or if you think you've gone too far where your heavenly Father can't get to you, don't forget that this is the same Jesus who raises a dead girl the same way I wake my children up for school. You cannot go too far from his reach 
and your situation cannot be so bad, he can't redeem you from it. For 12 years, she's been in uncleanness, but she needs to know she was never alone in it. He was always for her. He was always orchestrating this moment to make her his own. Shame is unfitting on royal children. And after 12 years of uncleanness and isolation, after 12 years of failed attempts at healing, she needed to know that she had a father and that she was loved and she was wanted and she was his. I can't help but imagine my Jesus stooping down until her eyes raised to meet his. I imagine it going something like this. Daughter? Daughter? Take heart, daughter. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be totally healed from your disease. By faith, we see we have a father when it seems like we're alone. Jesus gives us peace with God and peace with each other. And even now, Jesus Christ calls you to put your trust fully in him that you may be healed, that you may be saved. Faith sees through the way things seem to be, to the goodness of a God who would send his own son to make us his own children. Pray with me. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.